Welcome to Get in the Ring with DJ D Coops and B Smut on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yes, it is. It's time to get in the ring with DJ D. Kooks and Beast Mike here on a Sunday. Sunday in quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) But enough about the coronavirus because because we've talked way too much about it. We've dwelled. I I think spending, what, two shows on it, I think is, uh, I think it's enough. I think it's time to do something different, or at least get back to wrestling in some regards. Yeah, so... You got a guest. Yeah, so I got Bruce Mitchell, my friend from the PW Torch VIP. Um, He writes great columns and does great audio. Bruce, how you doing? Doing fine. I think I'm like everybody else, just trying to um, stay safe and... And stay sane during this weird time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, the first question is actually from Rich Lata. Um, doing all the effects of this is from the For the Culture show. How is it going to affect that? Because that was an all African American show that was going to happen WrestleMania weekend. Mm-hmm. Um let me get the question. It's in my notifications. Um, how much of a loss was the For the Culture WrestleMania weekend show? I, I mean, I'm I'm assuming that we're not going to have any wrestling shows on WrestleMania. Um, and so um, for the companies that um, – for the newer companies, for the companies that run WrestleMania weekend that are not the WWE, this is like – this that weekend was like – Christmas for department stores um, that, you know, department stores used to um, run all year long and then, but they made their money on the big, on the big Christmas season. And um, so there's a lot of companies that have held on in wrestling. Wrestling's not been a huge lucrative business for a while, uh, for years. And so they hold on until WrestleMania and then they had, you know, not a captive audience exactly, but they had, um, a city full of wrestling fans willing to spend money there to spend money and looking for um, wrestling things to do. And you're not going to have that in Tampa. And so, um, you know, the, and this was the first time they were going to run that show and, this, you know, and have an African-American theme and have a, you know, you know run a, and it's not going to run. So, um, dep- you know, you know, did they, did they put money down on a building? Did they, um, it was running at the for, with the collective. It was a GCW show. Yes. So I mean, so they lost whatever money that you know they've already spent, and they're not going to have the show. So I mean, I'm assuming 
And, and if they do have a show, it's going to be a big money loser, you know, and and may not be allowed to have the show at this point. I'm I'm really um, down on the idea of even having these wrestling shows with, um, you know, with with no audience. Um, it just seems to me it just seems to me that we're trying very much to keep everybody in quarantine and everybody in, um, you know, for, away from unnecessary um, contact and. And as much as it sounds like, you know, contact is necessary in wrestling. So, um, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully I, this will, this two will pass and they'll have another chance to, to do what they're doing. Yeah. I'm very much on the anti, like anything doing with wrestling right now. Um, yeah, even, he's been against that the last couple times. Yeah. I, I, I've been saying it for the week few weeks we've been on air it's like the crowd doesn't feel the same like mm-hmm. aw did a good job but everyone else is just it, it is so weird i can't well, you know i'm very much that wrestling i've been this way all the time i've ever been doing this wrestling is about is a is um about telling a story to an audience and so it's right. why it's so weird and it does so because that needs the audience back and forth. Um, it, you know, wrestlers need to listen to the audience, no matter how whether they've like written a script for their match or 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 working the match through improvisationally. It's that you need to listen to the crowd and work with it. There's no point to performing a wrestling match unless there's a crowd, and so that's why it comes across so strange on television. And then you know, when you're walking down to the walking the aisle. With music, music is there to hype up the crowd, and there's no crowd. Mm-hmm. It just it's weird, and and that overacting we saw like Gronkowski do, um, but a, a lot of a lot of the wrestlers have done. There's no need for that overacting. There's nobody in the first row, much less the last row. So it's uh, yeah, I, I'm um I I think that the I think that WWE would be smart to um run old wrestling shows. Yeah, I think. Um, I was talking to my friend Matt Porter, who is a host of the Kiss Room and uh, does certain things. Um, different. He said, just run old shows and make people believe and like make people subscribe to the network. Give it for free or for April and May, like the other sports networks are doing. Mm-hmm. And then, I think that was- and then, like make people believe. In wrestling again, you know, make people give people a reason to watch again. Well, I mean, everything is going everything is going to be handicapped in certain ways. But I mean, I I, I do think that you, that you can show like WWE has done an amazing job of not showing things from their network or from pay, from the pay per view universe for years and years you know, not showing whole matches most of the time. So, so if I were them, I'd do that. And then I'd also, you know, if you have enough people that you can do some production work somewhere and not, um, and not endanger, you know, not endanger anybody or keep social, you know, social, um, distance, then, um, and then maybe do some, and maybe show some theme shows, take some, take a, you know, take a wrestler, um, a current wrestler, you know, AJ Styles, I'm just making this up on top of my head, but like take AJ Styles, um, put together some of his highlights and have 
have him or somebody else in a studio doing some live um, in character, not, you know, some live in character um, commentary on it or something there. You know, the AEW show did show you that there's some things that they could do that wouldn't put anybody in, in any any real danger of breaking quarantine and and and, um, and do that. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any, um, or do, you know, just do a best of, you know, this Monday night, we're going to have the best of the rock and, and put together a clip show <laughs> of the rock or use them, you know, and, and not have the rock there, just show it. And then, um, and then, you know, there's, there's DVDs that, that are older now and there's, um, you know, they have those kind of fake ass documentaries on WWE Network show some mm-hmm. of that stuff. Um, and it, because the writing showed, you know, the writing showed that the, the stuff that they did that was original didn't get the writing, but the, um, you know, but like the Royal Rumble got the writing, the, the rerun of the Royal Rumble. So you could, you can stretch some of that out for a while, but yeah, right now, right now we got to keep each other safe and entertainment does not come first. Keeping, keeping everybody safe does. And the less, you know, the less um, people together. The, the, the safer the the asked groups will be yeah i i was a fan of what voices of wrestling said like why even run a wrestlemania right now or call it a wrestlemania when when you 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 it will always be associated with this pandemic Thir- the 36th wrestlemania will always be associated with this pandemic because and the wrestlemania name and you could always do it in July or August when this is over, and Vince McMahon or can be it. You can push the rematch back to SummerSlam. You, you could, you can even push everything back to SummerSlam and make SummerSlam like the big thing this week, this year. Right, right, so, right. That's to make everything is straight. Yeah, I don't. You know, it's like I don't have any answers. I don't have any faith at all that a, that two nights of wrestling without an audience is going to is going to sustain any kind of audience or keep keep anybody captivate a country. And so, but I don't know. You know, like we, you know, we're still in this kind of thing where we're going. You know, now it feels like we're going day to day. There for a while last week, it felt like we we're going hour to hour, and um, and and so I don't really have any great faith of what what it's gonna. You know, are they gonna even be able to pull? you know, pull off what they're thinking of pulling off. And I, I just, I, I go back to, I'm a basketball guy and I go back to the NBA and we still haven't had that wrestler um, test positive for the coronavirus. And we have that. I think that's going to change. That will shut um, everything down. I think. Yeah. Uh, it'll, shut, it'll shut everything down. Yeah. So it's like, you can't tell me that, you know, looking at projections and looking at, um, you know, all this, you can't tell me that's not going to happen. And if you can't, you know, if you can't play basketball, if you can't play baseball, if you can't play hockey, you know, with that level of people being around each other and physical contact, I have, I'd be damned if I can see how you can wrestle. And, and it just, and it's a bad look too. So I'm, I'm with you about if, if it's possible that this, that this curve um, that we flatten the curve out and get back, you know, get back to some normalcy. And it looks like, 
you know, Japan who responded quickly and, and China responded quickly, you know, they, and we haven't, but, um, you know, they're going to get back to normal, but just, you know, let time move on, get back to normal and then, you know, run it at SummerSlam or run it when there's there. And, and, you know, this thing's going to have a huge effect economically and, and other ways for a long, you know, the, the ramifications are going to go for a long time to come. But, you know, if you get back to, you know, people ready to see it again, you know, it's been a break, people ready to see it again, ready to celebrate something that, you know, and gather together, that might be, that might be a better idea. I don't have, I don't think WD has any answers, and I know I don't. So, yeah, anybody, I don't uh, have the answers either. I was just throwing, throwing poop on the wall and see which next. Well, I mean, I, no, I, 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 I you know, airing up the side of caution is the answer. And that's what we're doing right now. I mean, you know, there's, you know, I mean, I was making the, the joke this, this weekend. I asked, you know, you know, how are you doing or something? I was like, yeah, I'm going out to the club. You know, I'm going out tonight, and like I wasn't going out. You know, if there was no coronavirus, I wasn't going out to the club tonight. But I mean, it was um, you know, because there's no club, there's no place to go eat, there's no um, you know, you're not going to the movies, you're not doing anything. So it's um, yeah, it, it, it's brand new territory. It is brand new territory. Um, so how did you become a wrestling fan? Um, okay, I'll start with this. I'm old. So just just keep that in mind. So um, you know I, I I grew up in Durham, North Carolina, um, and when I was growing up, you know there was wrestling on television, and I would watch it a little bit. And it was um, I could I have kind of some vague memories of Rip Hawk and Sweet Hanson and Johnny Weaver, and I remember Argentina Apollo as a little kid. And my memories of Argentino Apollo are like a souped-up Jushin Liger. Uh, this guy just flying all around the ring because I was, you know, and I'm sure it wasn't that. And and, um, and so it was just something that was on TV. I was a basketball guy and I was a sports guy. Like I just watched what was on you know, TV. And then um, I was in high school and I remember being told, you know, every once in a while I watch wrestling, but it was, um, you know, it, it, it was kind of not so cool and it was um you know and i and i knew that like you, you can't punch somebody in the face and just keep going you know and like it wasn't you know it, you know and never show any marks or anything so it's like I, I knew what it was and um and i remember being told hey man are you watching wrestling and i was like yeah no well you ought to watch this wrestling there's this blonde haired guy that's really cool well that blonde haired guy turned out to be rick flair and I did start watching, and um, it was Ric Flair and Rick Steamboat were like the top guys. And, and as it happened, and this is just you know luck and um, how life works, you know, right place in the right time in certain ways. But it's a minor thing. I was a wrestling fan, and here in the Carolinas, it was the heyday of Jim Crockett promotions. It was the heyday of Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling, and um, I started going to college in Greensboro. And you had the Greensboro Coliseum, which really, you know, had like the big rock concerts. But really what supported it was um, about this time of the year, um, every year they would have the ACC men's basketball tournament. That was an impossible ticket to get. And it um, and it would just clip the entire state and in Virginia and 
you know, it would everything almost closed down. I mean, it would be in school and um, if the tournament was on, teams were playing, we'd all have our radios and the teachers would the teachers would tell us, you know, if you do your work, you listen to the games. And, and everybody was like that. The teachers were like that, too. And um, so the Greensboro Coliseum had this big event, you know, three three nights that would sell out. And then every month they could count on um, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. There was no, you know, there was no NFL team in the area. There was no, the, the ABA was there for a while, but there was nothing, you know, there was no like, there was nothing like the whole state had. We all, we all either you know, Tar Heel fans or Wake Forest fans or NC State fans. I was a Duke fan. Um, and that was what you cared about. And so, and, and you know, you watched the NFL, but you didn't have, but you might pick a team, but, it, you know, it wasn't like around. And so, um, you know, I didn't know this, but I just thought this was wrestling, but that promotion had built the best, um, the best roster of talent of anybody in the world. They were running three shows um, a night you know, a big show, a medium show, and then like a high school gym show. And they were making more money per capita than any other, you know, any other wrestling business in the world. And so, you know, if you look at the WWE Hall of Fame, particularly the first few classes, it's full of people from this company. It was, you know, Roddy Piper and and, um, Greg Valentine. I remember Roddy Piper showing up and like and I got hooked. I really did. It was like, I was like, I loved the promos first. I mean, they just had these great promo guys who would like, you know, talk trash about each other back and forth. Ric Flair versus Roddy Piper, like that kind of thing. And, um, you know, Blackjack Mulligan. And they had, and like the stuff made sense in the sense of bad guy would do something cheap, the good guy out of a title. Good guy would chase the bad guy. And the bad guy might run away in a match, and then the next match would be, um, okay, you know, you lose your title if you run away. You know, like they'd add a stipulation, and it made sense. And I, I figured it out pretty early that what they wanted to do was make you think you were going to see the good guy get the bad guy that match, and then he would get that close to it, and then the last thing of the match would be something that would keep him away from doing it. And then... Finally, they would have the steel cage match, and that was the blow-off match. That was the, and it, usually it was on Thanksgiving, but not always. And they'd have this big show that would sell out the Greensboro Coliseum on Thanksgiving, and the good guy would catch the bad guy in the cage, and um, you know, and and things would be settled. And um, George Scott was the booker who was Vincent Mann's original um, booker for wrestle for the first WrestleMania, and he had um, really changed the company from this kind of mediocre, like mid market company, which is, you know, this was a mid market at best, you know, Greensboro, Charlotte, Richmond. Um, that's not, you know, that's not the largest markets in the world or anything. And, um, but they were really clicking mass superstar and all these guys. And it was fun to watch. And I would just, um, I would, um, you know, leave the party at the, at the, at the dorm or, you know, on campus on Saturday nights at 1130, go watch wrestling, come back. And I had the, you know, I'd move the antenna on the, on the television and, um, and all that stuff. And I knew, I think for the first five years I was a wrestling fan, 
I knew no other wrestling um, fans. Like, I would go to shows every once in a while, and if I could talk my friends into going, who weren't fans into going with me, I'd try to get them to go. And I went to one um, WRL-TV television taping in the little studio. Um, that was a lot of fun. I wrote about it on the Mid-Atlantic Gateway. But, um, and I went, I, my first show was... I, my show, first show was in the Greensburg Coliseum. I went by myself um, in a co-main event. It was Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. Um, they were either defending the NWA World Tag Team Championship or they were going after it against Paul Jones and Baron Von Raschke. And um, that was great. And that like had this like fight. Um, and then, then the bad guys had a fight at the after they lost the match. And, um, and Steamboat and Youngblood to this day is the best like good guy tag team I've ever seen. And then the um, main event, I thought I was going to see someone get their head shaved. That was why I went. I was hoping I would. And I was a Ric Flair fan, but Ric Flair was wrestling Gene Anderson, and he had who was the manager of Jimmy Snook of the U.S. Champion, and he had 30 minutes to beat Gene Anderson with a figure four. Or they were going to shave his head, and I have a, um, I have this memory. I don't know if it's like a real memory or not of, of there being a barber chair in the uh, in the um, hallway of the Greensboro Coliseum. I could be, like I said, I could be wrong about that. Somehow I have this memory of it. But I um, mean, um, and so um, Flair, of course, ended up beating Gene Anderson, and then, um, and you know, like really entertaining. And I didn't know like you could be a good wrestler or a bad wrestler. But I, but I knew it looked like a fight. It looked like, you know, it looked, it looked good. And, and I didn't realize that Flair was as good as he was, but I, he, you know, I thought, my thought was really good. And then Snooker came out, who was the baddest, the biggest, baddest guy I'd ever seen in my life up to that point. When I think about four years later, he was kind of in the middle of, of the pack as far as steroid monsters go. But then he was like, I mean, he was just, and he was also, you know, he was a great heel. So he comes out and he attacks Flair, you know, kicks his ass, and they take Flair off on a stretcher. And there's blood, you know, all this blood and all this stuff. And I'm just, I, I, I'm loving it. I'm just like, oh, my God, this is great. Because it was like, you know, I could see, like, okay, you know, then Flair's going to come back on the next show and, and challenge Snuka. And I loved the crowd because the crowd was, like, nuts. And, you know, I heard, you know, these girls are crying because Flair was on the stretcher and, um, you know, bleeding and oh, what's gonna happen and all this stuff. And then I I heard this guy explain to his friend um, about. I'm sorry, I'm just going on and on and on. Um, <laughs> no, no, you. This, 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 this is cool. This is interesting. He was explaining to his friend where the blood came from, and this is what he told him. He said, "Oh, he's not bleeding. You know, it's like it's not real blood. You know, because it was constantly like, you know, well." You know, people believe like, you know, and real is he going off to the hospital and all that stuff? And um, the guy goes, well, you know, it's not real blood; it's chicken blood. <laughs> and the guy goes, no yeah. And the other guy goes, yeah, it's chicken blood. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, we're walking out of the coliseum, and I remember this, and I remember thinking, it's chicken blood. So I was like laughing, going, oh yeah, and like I wouldn't believe it half of what I was you know, half of what people were saying, it was, you know, 
crowd was drunk, crowd was smoking. I mean, it was just, you know, everything. And so, you know, people in the crowd. And so um, I'm just sitting there imagining, I'm going, so they bring the chickens into the Greensboro Coliseum, live chickens, then they cut their heads off and pour the blood into something. And then the wrestler has it. Where does he have it? And he pours it on his head. That makes no sense. And, you know, it took me a while to, like, find, you know, I, I, I pretty much found out, like, a lot of people did on 2020, but, um, you know, you know, on, on that thing, but it was, um, I was just like laughing going, this is tremendous. And, and I did figure out, I remember two, two things I figured out. I didn't know it was called a hot tag, but I figured out that like with steamboat and young blood, you know, the crowd loved them. And, and, um, and young blood who was smaller than steamboat, they, you know, was caught in the corner by the bad guys. They're, they're kicking his ass. He would fight his ass off, and then and Steamboat would stand there with his arm out, you know, come on, tag me, come on, tag me, and he'd almost tag him, and then he wouldn't, and they get beat the hell out of him again, and and then they did the thing where the referee, you know, where he finally tagged him, but the referee didn't see it, and it's not and a tag. Like, yeah. No one's called a hot tag, but I was like, oh, I get it because because when he finally got the tag, the you know the the Man. The, 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 the it fans went crazy. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, like I, I got it. And, you know, years later, I've kind of like figured it up. But I was like, this is like sex. It was like you're getting closer, closer, closer. And then you pull back. And, you get, and then finally, when everything releases, it, it goes crazy. So I was like, okay, I figured that out. And then they had had Snooker wrestle on um, Blackjack Mulligan that was like the third main event and it came on before the other two. And there was a reason why blackjack could talk. I mean, he was like John Wayne there. I was like, he was, he was every bit the talker in that time that dusty Rhodes was late, you know, was later and for the Crockett's and was in Florida then. But, um, but you know, he's like six foot nine, six foot seven or six foot nine, whatever he was. And, and Snook is out there and they're having this match and I didn't know that you could have a bad match. I just figured every match was good. You know, it's like they knew, you know, like I didn't, it, it didn't even like, but, but the match ended, like I didn't know you could have a match that didn't have a finish, you know, like didn't, didn't mm. end good guy or the bad guy, you know, one guy winning. And so the match just kind of stopped and ended because I think Mulligan picked up um, one of the ring barriers or something and, and was going to hit snooker with it or something but it kind of went nowhere and now i look back on it, what it was was these two had a bad match you know because like they would they would mulligan unless it was flair he would wrestle guys like um mass superstar or john stud he'd wrestle these big guys and do these big guy type matches like they never like had him wrestle little guys too much at least or they didn't when i was watching they'd had him wrestle paul jones you know a year before that right. but um but most of the time it was like you know these big pont you know it was like these big slugfest and then trying to get the claw on somebody so it was like a whole style to itself but that match sucked when i look back on it and i didn't know i was like what happened there i was like what the hell was that why didn't you know what are they doing and so i learned you know there's such a thing as a bad match but um i didn't go I watched it religiously on television, but I didn't go all the time um, for the first few years. But um, yeah, and so 
I was watching all, you know, like Flair was tremendous. And I was, and, and then when I graduated from, from college, I got a job in um, Dover, Delaware. And so I moved to Delaware. I'd never been out of North Carolina. And um, as it happened, like John Studd and Jimmy Snooker and Sergeant Slaughter, and I'm trying, it might have been, anyway, you know, like a lot of the talent would go back and forth between New York and, and, and the Carolinas. And so I ended up kind of following, you know, just by, you know, watching, going from watching Mid Atlantic to watching WWF and following some of those guys. So I saw stuff like, you know, like they would do the same thing sometimes. Like John Studd had the same feud with Andre the Giant like three times in a row that I saw for like two years. Um, so that was, and, and then I came back to the Carolinas and I was actually visiting some friends of mine in Greensboro. I went over to a comic store because I'm a comic book guy too. And never been in this comic store. And this guy is, I look up and this guy, and like, I would go to the cop, I would go to the university, um, um, newspaper rooms and, and find, um, results for wrestling shows and that kind of thing. So I was like learning how to do that. And I'd buy every wrestling magazine I'd get my hands on. And, um, you wouldn't get a whole lot of information, but you get a little bit. And, um, so, there's this guy talking about wrestling, like that's working at the store and he's talking about the way I kind of thought about it. Like who wasn't, you know, like what are they going to do? Who's going to get this championship? What are they going to do next? And who was really good based on um, who could talk trash, you know, and who was entertaining to watch. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, Oh my God, you know, boy, I hope Steamboat wins the U S title kind of thing. And, um, and so I butted into the conversation and then I came back to the store the next time I was, visiting and the guy goes um and all i ever wanted to do was like go to wrestling one time and sit up front and hear if they talk to each other you know and if they did i wanted to hear it but I, that was my big ambition and so the guy goes you want to go you want to go to the greensburg next greensburg show and then he says the magic words my friends and i sit front row for every show and it was true and they had you know Coliseums back then were, what's the word I can use? Crooked. You know, if you knew the right people and, you know. And, wow. And so he had the hookup for um, Greensboro Coliseum front row seats. And um, that guy is named John Hitchcock. And if you go on the site. Um, it, oh, it all, wow. Okay. <laughs> right now. So Hitch and I, you know, he had a group of fans. And they were they were like religious about a couple of things. One of them was, um, well, I'd say three. One of them, one of them was that you just rooted for bad guys, which I was fine with. Section D. Section D. Yes. And so um, <laughs> I was fine with because I because I was going to root for Flair, like, and I love and I love bad guys too. So I was like, oh, I was our, and he was a you know major bad guy, and um, and then. They, I mean, literally, that was the group. He was, um, he, he weren't the first people to bring signs to wrestling shows, but the first people to bring them to every show and for the bad guys and kind of, you know, supporting the bad guys and kind of looking to get reactions from the wrestlers and, and from the crowd. And then as it happened, um, and, and so, um, 
And also, you know, they were good hecklers. And I was a good heckler even then. I had spent my youth in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And so I was, I knew how to heckle. And, and so I started. Right, so you I told know them, how to get under basketball yeah, players. Get, and so you know. Yeah, like, I, like and I, I could, like, say something, get a rat, you know, and get people to laugh or get a reaction from them and all that. And so it was funny because I was like, you know, they had these, you know, all these people that were friends in Greensboro. I wasn't even living in Greensboro. And I just sort of knew Hitch and that was it. And so I, you know, out of 10 people, I was over on the side, you know, like the last seat. And, um, and I talking to Hitch the other day about this. I was like, I was like, yeah, I worked my way pretty quick. Like, because he, he gave out the tickets. You had to give him the money first, you know, like before he bought the tickets, but he kind of, he would like pass out the tickets and so when he realized that I could talk trash really well, and he, you know, he could too, I ended up sitting next to him pretty quickly. So, uh, yeah, it's gonna, you know, because there was like, you know, there were some different types of people in this, and some of them were great at it. Some of them were there to see the wrestling and weren't, you know, and to laugh themselves. And so, um, you know, went to went to virtually every show in the Greensboro Coliseum for during the heyday of the Four Horsemen and um, the Rock and Roll Express and Dusty Rhodes and Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express and all that time. And, um, and so I didn't know, but that was a, that was a real education and you know, learning like how things worked and just, and, and just there to have a good time. It was, you know, and it was, uh, we'd see amazing stuff because you root for the bad guys. The fans hated you. And, but they were like, they wanted to see what signs you would have the, you know, the, the wrestlers would react. Some of them, and so the thing that was funny was like Flair didn't really react because, and then you saw these shows, and Flair didn't need to because his matches were just state of the art. I mean, it's like he could have a, he could have not a good match with a great match with with a guy that couldn't wrestle, and I mean literally. And so um, you had Rock and Roll Express, and you had the Midnight Express that were. You know, they were top of the line at tag team wrestling. You had the Road Wars that got great reactions. They had, um, and so we'd be at these shows going, it's intermission. The show's been great, and we still got the Midnight Express and Ric Flair to go. It's like, you know, and and Tully Blanchard and, and Arn Anderson. Who yeah, you'd be, like, you'd be like reeling, like, oh, we have this shit left, and, and, this has already been a great show. It's not like Madison Square Garden where the main event is right there, right at the yeah, You know, in the Garden, and I watched those shows on the USA Network, and, like, it was a different type of wrestling. They, you know, WWF back then when the when Vince's dad was running it was very much mm-hmm. big man, you know, territory. And then the shows, there was a lot of crap on the shows. It's like they just, as long as they had – you know, Bruno or, or Bob Backlund, um, you know, in main events drawing the crowd, you know, you just, you know, you could have Baron Mikel Cicluna versus um, <laughs> Dominic Danucci for the 10,000th time on television, you know, and, and, and they, you know, like didn't bother them. So, um, so yeah, but yeah, this was like the eighties and this is, you know, this was the, the, the wrestling war and um, a couple of things happened. I sent five dollars to from Wrestling Eye magazine because I remember I was you know my whole life had been a Sports Illustrated reader and the Hulk Hogan um, 
issue came out and it quoted Dave Meltzer, the wrestling observer, a ton. And I always figured it was like, I figured it was an industry thing. Like there'd be somebody in the wrestling industry themselves sending out a business newsletter. And I, I, and I always thought, man, if I could just get my hands on something like that, like the Kiplinger letter was for business. Um, and I'd never thought I would be able to do it, but I, but I, and I never sent money to people. It was like, I wasn't a mail order guy at all. I'm still, I'm still not the biggest eBay person in the world. And so, um, I sent $5 to the wrestling server and I got that and started reading that every week. And like back then there's no internet. There's no nothing mid eighties. You're like, holy shit. This was perfect. (laughs) I sit there like, I'd sit there and go to the mailbox you know, I was, you know, working in a department store and, and, in North, in Oxford, North Carolina by then. And I was like, for the same people I'd gone to Delaware for. And I was like, Oh my God. You know, just like, that was like Christmas every week because like, here's the stuff you don't have to wait six weeks for it. It wasn't a bunch of made up stories. It wasn't, you know, the, you know, I loved, I have a, I have a collection now of old wrestling magazines and, and plenty of them are, you know, Stanley West and Bill Aftermax, but it was like, you know, six I know Bill myself. Yeah, he's done some, he actually does some interviews with Bill, with Bill After. Yeah. And, you know, now, yeah, I know After now, too, and, like, I don't, I, like, I liked him, and I like him, and I like him now, and I liked him back then, but it was like, here's the real information, and it's that week's information, instead of waiting seven weeks and trying to figure out stuff, you know, from clues, and, you know, it was much more um, and so right. you know, I pass that out to my friends and, mm. you know, so we became more, um, like, you know, we became more, um, in tune to what was going on. And the other thing was business wasn't doing as well because we had a great time with it because these matches would be like the horsemen would be the champions, like Flair would be the champion, mm. um, the bad guys would be the, you know, the, the world tag team champions and, you know, U.S. champion or whatever it was. And and the good guys that kicked their ass. So they really had a formula where the bad guys were the better wrestlers, like more movement. And, you know, if you go every month, you're like, you know who's good. You may not know how to explain mm-hmm. it, but it's like, you know who gives you more action. I was always like, I would choose shows. My thing, my rule of thumb was go to the shows. Where and I go to everything in Greensboro because that was, they always had the good shows. But I would go to Dorton Arena in Raleigh if it was headlined by Ric Flair or Tully Blanchard. And I would go to, but if it was headlined by, you know, Jimmy Valiant of the Barbarian, I wouldn't go because I knew, like, I, I, I like Jimmy Valiant as far as like talking, but I knew, like, once you saw he wasn't the wrestler, wrestlers, like, you didn't get, a, you didn't get the good action, but. If Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard were wrestling, they were going to fight all over the. They were going to fight all over Dorton Arena, and it was going to be like it was going to be cool to see. And if Ronnie Garvin was wrestling Ric Flair, they were going to beat the ever-loving crap out of each other. And, and that would be pretty good. Yeah, was, this, yeah. They were gonna chop the, you know, they were going to chop the shit out of each other. And so, like that was kind of, you know, that was kind of the rule of thumb I had. But um, and so the bad guys, you know, like they moved more. And so, and, you know, Flair was the guy here. And then Dusty came. And when Dusty came, um, they were, you know, they were careful about not turning people against Flair too much. I mean, he, he literally could, 
be the NWA champion and defend against a good guy and do and do bad guy promos against Barry Windham and wrestle like a heel against Barry Windham. And then he could wrestle and defend against um, Tully Blanchard. I was lucky enough to see one of those matches. Not a lot of people have, but I mean, okay. he, but he could like talk trash when Tully Blanchard was part of the gruesome twosome with Wahoo McDaniel before the four horsemen came along. Um, he could, he could talk like a good guy and people would, you know, like they would react to him. Like he was this big star and they would, you know, he could be a heel one night and a baby face the other night down here. It was kind of incredible. So Dusty came in and like they would, they kept him apart, but they were really, but you know, Dusty wouldn't tear down player and player wouldn't tear down Dusty. And then they did the thing in the, you know, in Atlanta in the steel cage where Dusty saved player from the, the Russians from Nikita and, and Ivan. And then the Andersons who they had said in storylines for years, you know, well before, Arn Anderson showed up, but that Gene and Ole were like, and and even when I saw that match with Gene, Flair versus Gene, they were Flair was supposedly an Anderson cousin, and the funny part was the only real Anderson was Gene Anderson ever. You know, it was like the only one that was named Anderson. <laughs> None of them were related, but um, you know, but it was just a way to like get Flair over, and you know, when he first came, and um, and so anyway, um, you know, so Dusty is, you know. And I realized, like, the Four Horsemen, people don't get that the Four Horsemen, it wasn't like putting together this cool group of heels. It was Dusty showing that he was better than Ric Flair. And he wanted to chase Ric Flair, the NWA champion, and that he was tougher in the storyline. He was tougher and better. And that Flair, even to hold on to the title by technicality, had to have not one guy, you know, like, had to have more than just a manager help him. He had to have three other guys like help him against Dusty, and you know Dusty would you know they would do the course line. We'd laugh, you know, like the course line would be all would be three of the four horsemen running into the ring, Dusty standing mm-hmm. in the middle of the ring, hit, hitting elbows on the top of the guy's head as they came out like a course line that they came in and fed him and did that, and so um, there was too much Dusty. There was too much, and Dusty was gaining weight and he was getting more and more out of shape and fan and fans are also sick of they would do this they do the dusty finish and this was a uh, big yeah the first time i saw it it was awesome it worked like crazy um and people want, but every month and and just about it where you'd be sitting there watching the match and you just turn and wait for the bad guys to run in and interfere and you turn look at you and you turn, you know, and as soon as the good guy got advantage, looked like he was gonna, um, he was going to pin him. You get, you'd either look at the referee to get knocked down, or look for the mm-hmm. bag coming from the back. Like you see, you know, it was like watching ducks turn their head, wait, not watch the ring because they were just watching for what they saw every time. And so, you know, the the dusty finish was, um, the good guy like dust. Uh, we'll just use Dusty Rhodes and Flair. Well, okay. <laughs> But it, it could be any good guy and bad guy every month, too. Like, every month, the same finish. Um, but so Dusty would be beating up Flair, and he's about to win. And um, and then the referee might get knocked down. The referee would get knocked down. And at the time the referee got knocked down, Dusty would throw Flair toward the ropes, and Flair would go over the top rope 
but it would just look like Flair went over the top rope. It wasn't something Dusty did. And then Flair would come back in. Dusty would hit him with three elbows and then and then the flying elbow and pin him. But he would pin him. The referee would be down. And the crowd would be sitting there watching for the, another referee to run down, not the original referee, and, um, and count Flair's shoulders to the mat. One, two, three. Then everybody would jump up and down like, oh, my God, Dusty Rhodes has won the, the NWA championship. And then the original referee would wake up and he would go, no, Dusty threw, Dusty threw Ric Flair. I saw it. He threw him over the top rope. That's a disqualification. So right. you have Dusty And one of the things that we would do as bad guy fans who had seen some wrestling, you know, and would travel a little bit, you know, we knew what it meant when the referee went down. We knew exactly what they were going to do. So, you know, the fans, and the whole idea was if you use it like once every five years, it's your guy beat the world champion by, and, and um, just this technicality, he's better than the world champion. Just this technicality kept him from having the world championship. So go see the rematch when, you know, you're guaranteed he's going to win. You know, that was the, that was the, the psychology of it. And so, um, but we'd seen it and they did it every month. And, and so what we would do is, you know, Hey, you got that. Your guy got his ass kicked. He got beat. One, two, three. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Who's the champion? And <laughs> the champion. Like he doesn't deserve it. Well, he got beat. What do you mean? He got, and we just, you know, what do you mean? He got beat. If he got beat, wouldn't your guy be the champion? You know, who's got, just, who's got the belt? And they'd be, and, you know, we were entertainers. So I was just laughing and they would be furious. But you'd also hear people like walking out of the Coliseum going, um, I'm never coming back to this bullshit ever again. And they weren't kidding. And so it went from average crowds of, you know, just a normal show of about 10,000 to like every month the 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 crowds would go down and and Dusty would push himself even he'd be more involved and and more of a Superman every single month in reaction to it and people not just us were booing the hell out of him like you know he had like this real you know he had the mixed reaction that John Cena got years later but it was worse mm. and so um you know we we'd see it every month and then reading about it in the Observer and all that so all that was like a real education and seeing a, you know, seeing a promotion being hot as hell and then going to the point where, you know, we were there when, you know, we were there when the crowds were so small that they had to, you know, they had to sell the company and all that. So all that was a big education. I started writing letter. I started calling Dave to, to give him results. And, um, he was really cool and like really patient with my questions. I, I remember the first time I did it and, um, and I got to be good at, um, I got to be good at estimating crowds in the Coliseum. Like, like, you know, I could get it within, a, I could guess it within a few hundred. And, um, and so, you know, and, and I still to this day, I'm like, how many, my, the first question I have about any wrestling show is how many people were there? Cause that is the point, mm -hmm. you know, the point is to get people to come. It's not, who won the title or who did this? It's um, or even who had the five star match? It's like who, you know, who? How many people were there? Because that meant when I was growing up watching wrestling, if they had a lot of people, you got better 
you know, they were, they were free agents in wrestling. So you got better talent to come to your wrestling show, you know, if they were, if they were, um, drawing more people. And if they weren't drawing people, you know, titles would change hands and guys would go away. And until they got it right, until they, you know, until they adjusted, their, adjusted it back up. And so I, that was a real education for me. And, um, so anyway, I wrote letters to the observer um, and we got on television all the time. If you go on WWE Network, you can see some of the times because because and, and watching um, from the 80s, um, um, Crocker Promotions, those those shows, um, we they would tape a lot in Greensboro and in Raleigh. And since we were on the front row and had um, signs that they put on television and also we were. You know, we loved being on TV. It's the stupidest thing in the world, but it was like watch the red light and and um, and, and cheer on bad guys. And then, crazy, yeah. you know, then Saturdays, I can remember like going to work in Oxford and, and you know, I had the I had the the VCR um, set to record whatever wrestling shows were on while I was at work. And then I go home and go, oh my, you know, go home and see, oh my God, did we get on? Um, did we get on television? And people started noticing. Like, like I saw you on TV. Like I didn't do anything except act like an idiot. But it was like, you know, <laughs> and people like, you know, as it as it kept going, like, you know, go to go to an ECW show, and then we saw you guys on television. You know, like back in the day, you were on. You know, or, you know, back in the day, you guys. So people knew, um, um, so the guys in Madison Square Garden, and and, and then. You know they 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 knew us and then and then um, being a correspondent for the Observer and writing letters to it um, that that became something there too and then I got a chance to start writing writing for Wade in like 1990 and been writing for him ever since so it was so that's my origins as a wrestling fan and and been to all kinds of stuff and done all kinds of things and still do you know like I'm still like kind of amazed that. Um, I just, and I never wanted to be in wrestling. Um, I'm like six, two when I was in high school, I was six, two and, um, I, you know, I played basketball and I would, um, I was still, you know, swimmer and all that, but I was six, two and 155 pounds. So I never thought of myself as like someone who was going to be a wrestler. And, you know, now, like I look back on it and go, and I, and I wouldn't want to be one knowing what I know. But and, and it takes like real talent and it takes real training and all that. I'm like, I can't stand going to shows where I see people that are in worse shape than I am in the ring. Like it's ridiculous. And I was, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm one of those people that goes to the gym for a while and then, then slops off and then gets into shape again and all that. But like, I never thought about being in wrestling. Um, I wanted to be a writer. Like that's what I wanted to be when I was a kid. That's what, I, and this has given me a chance to write about something that's really interesting and crazy, and have a really, you know, a, an audience that reads it and like likes what I write or gets mad at what I write, and and you can have an you can have an effect on um, if you write well, you know, if you write well enough and and understand things well enough. You do a good job; it can affect it can affect the business in a good way, or it can also, you know, call out bullshit in a good way too. So, I'm, you know, I'm like really happy with that with that. But I, mm. I've never stepped in a wrestling ring, and you know, I'm never going to. So it's like I always thought that was a matter of respect that if you go in a wrestling ring, you should be trained and right. 
Oh, you yeah, 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 yeah. Never, like, you don't have never if you're untrained, step into a wrestling ring. That is yep. one thing for sure. I, That's a bad, I a bad help, out with, I help yeah. out with production at the Monster Factory. So yeah. the, I'm like, I have mad respect for what they do. I I ran the ropes once, and I was blown up after, and I'm like, never again. <laughs> it's, like a, you know, it's like a real, th- it's a real athletic. Like, it's really, you know, it's. It's to be good at it. It's really, I mean, it's it's really complicated. It takes takes brains and smarts and performance ability and, and athletic ability like crazy. And so, um, you know, sitting there watching watching these guys who are really really good at it. The idea of, you know, I love basketball, but um, I didn't think like, damn, if I get a chance, if I could walk out on, if I could walk out and grab the basketball, I could play. Um, I can play point guard for the New York Knicks. That's the example I always use. It's like, not, you know, it's like you got to earn that stuff. Yeah, so. you got to earn your place in wrestling, man. It's yeah. like, it's like every 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 person that steps in that school thinks they're guaranteed to go to WWE, and it's like, no, no, nope, that not that simple. No, yeah, you know, and and that kind of so, but I, you know. The, the stuff that I've seen and been a part of and just the craziness and fun times and the people I've met and all that is like, it's, um, it's, it's been amazing and it continues to be, I mean, it's more, um, you know, this is the era with, of AEW and the Meltzer driver. And so mm-hmm. of the type of fans that, you know, the, there's not really casual fans. Now there's really strong fans. They're either, you know, they're either people who read us or they're people that um, should that we should be trying to get to read us. You know, so it's like it's that it's that 24 hour, seven day a week um, Internet fan. And so um, going to wrestling shows as part of the torch for 30 years is like and it would always be like there'd be people who knew what I was, knew who I was and knew what I did. And there would be some wrestlers who hated it, and there'd be some wrestlers who knew it, and there'd be plenty that didn't. And it was like that with fans too. And now, I mean, I went to we went to SmackDown here a couple of months ago, and I was just like, oh my god, I had more people coming up to me, um, either recognizing my face or hearing my voice than than ever. Must have been ten or eleven of them, you know, just what in the world? So, um, yeah, it, it's you know a generation that's used to used to reading the wrestling observer or the wrestling torch and, um, or, you know, following it through Mike Johnson or insider or whatever it is that, or you just on the internet, who's aware of it. And, you know, Bruce Pritchard. So Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson, it's like, that's, that's spread the name too. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to see the growth of the smart wrestling fan and to see mm-hmm. the, what you guys have been doing since, what, when did Wade open up the site? When I mean the seventeen. Was, so he was um, I want to say like I started in ninety. Ninety. So I started okay. in ninety. He'd already been around. Um, eighty-seven. Six or eighty-seven, I think. Something like and that. And then Dave started in eighty-two. Yeah, and like Dave and I are virtually the same age, but um, yeah, he um. But yeah, he was well ahead of the game. I know I can date my subscription back to the first the first issue of the Observer I got was um, 
was um, the hair shaving match between sounds like I have a hair shaving fetish, but anyway, um, <laughs> between Austin Idol and and Jerry Lawler. I remember like getting that going. Oh my god, this sounds like this is, this sounds tremendous. But, so I I can date my my newsletter time to that. And then, was that um, was that the time you heard of Lawler? No, God no, no. I knew I knew who everybody was. I was reading the magazines and I'd seen Lawler. You know, when he would show up on in Georgia, and you know, I'd watch the, every show I could watch. Yeah, I know, I, I knew, I knew. I, I like you were living under a rock. I like, I like Jerry Lawler. I loved Austin Idol, and of course, I knew who Tommy. Okay. Was. But um, and in fact, I this is up on the site on the free site. I put a link just because I know everybody's like stuck, you know, at home. I I I made a um, I wrote a an article um, and had way put it on the free site. Where it's just basically a whole bunch of links to wrestling stuff, and particularly you know the old type of promos that Dusty Rhodes and guys like that would do, and Superstar Billy Graham and the guys like that would do in live audiences. And one of them I put was Austin Idle, um, because I just thought, I mean, he was just he was cool. Like he was like the other Flair, except for um, he wasn't. I didn't realize it. He wasn't quite the wrestler that Flair was, but as far as like mm. ability to talk and the ability, <laughs> you know, to be this cool guy, he was man. Austin I- Idolmania was no joke, and so, um, you know, so anyway, um, and then I'd re- you know I'd written all these letters and gotten them published in the Observer, and I was you know I would talk to Dave on the phone about you know what shows I'd went to and gossip and all that, and so um, friends with him. And so, and met a lot of people um, going to shows. But um, uh, I, I found it. I found it. Watch these soulful, huh? Effective character-driven '70s promos. And I just, mm. I, and, and literally, I picked most of that stuff for. This is not the same stuff you see people put, but also just watch it because it's entertaining now. It's yeah. like I didn't put it like I wasn't like trying to like be you know you need to learn about you need to be a better person and learn about things you know I'm a teacher so I'm you know bad enough about that but it's like I was just like okay what's some cool stuff um, that I enjoyed that people haven't that maybe you know people now in 2020 haven't seen but is you know but it's superstar Billy Graham and Ric Flair and Dusty and, and you know Austin Idol and 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 Thunderbolt Patterson, all the stuff that's like fun to watch. So anyway, um, and, and so I met Wade because we started traveling a little bit to, um, wrestling shows. We went to Florida a couple of times to pay-per-view shows, um, and went to, we were front row for the, for the debut of Oz in Florida. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> front row. And I will never forget. They, 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 just, they pushed that like crazy. Oz comes out, there's like Kevin Sullivan in, in a Halloween mask, and there's a real life monkey. And this kid behind me just goes, <laughs> you know, like it didn't last very long. And it, like it was a flop. And this kid behind me goes, Oh man, that's just that old master blaster in a real <laughs> And he was right. I was like, I was just laughing. But, um, and so, you know, and we would get word about stuff. And so we knew that Flair was going to lose to Sting um, at that bash in Baltimore. And so Jesus. Melter was traveling to the show and 
Torchway Keller was and Mark Madden and all these people. So we um went to was so Beverly at the show. Yes. Yeah, I think he was he at that show. I don't think he was at that show, but I met him and knew him and um and um what's the guy? Dr. Lucha, Steve Sims was at the show and um God that just sounds a like a good party. You, Dave, Wade. That sounds like a good show. Yeah. I remember I I stopped Wade in the hallway of the hotel and I gave him some money and said, I want to subscribe. And he was like, would you like, and and then it wasn't very long, a few weeks or a couple of months later, like, would you like to write for me? And, you know, for free. And I was like, yeah. And so, um, you know, I wrote longer stuff than anybody else did. And so that was, um, and so it's turned into like a part-time job and, and, you know, and, make money off of it and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, so that was part of it. And then, you know, like the wrestlers are around. And so, um, you know, and going to set, you know, I've been to, um, Jimmy seafood, but, um, back then it was Sabatino's and going to Sabatino's, the Italian restaurant. And, um, where the wrestlers were eating and all that. And so that was like, a, you know, that was a big time, but yeah, that's kind of my origins of stuff. And, and, um, you know, covered Vincent man steroid trial in person. Um, you know, been to a ton of different wrestling shows the, my, my, my shameful secret is I've never been to WrestleMania, not going this year either. Mm. Cause I was a school teacher and like, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't take off in May. And then also it was, it was, you know, you'd watch the show and then do a roundtable for Wade with um, Pat McNeil or, or um, Todd Martin and do a roundtable, like, after the show for an hour and a half. So I'd be like, uh, so even though I did it here at home, I would be up until 1 o'clock and then have to go to work the next day to teach kids, and I'd be up then at, you know, five thirty six o'clock. So it was like I wouldn't, you know, I couldn't take a week off in the middle of school year. Um, That's fair. But I've been to Mexico, been to, you know, all kinds of like, you know, backstage at the ECW arena a couple of times, I mean, all kinds of, um, all, God almighty, all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, great what about the ECW arena, the old school ECW arena, I've been there so many times since, since ECW's closed because I'm only 24. Right, right. And I'm, like I said, I'm old. So it's like, well, that's one thing. So like you start doing it now, like just just by following where wrestling goes, um, you'll end up, you know, if you stick with it or, you, you know, if you keep doing it, you'll end up at a lot of places. And, and like, people travel now. It's kind of, a, it, it's amazing to me to go to stuff around the country. And then I would always laugh. I, I always laugh and go, whether I was in Chicago or Baltimore or, um, or um, Charlotte or where I was, I'd look up and I'd see John Schuyler, the wrestler, because he was like getting, you know, he was like getting jobs with, you know, different wrestling companies. I was like, man, all I do is follow you around. <laughs> so, you know, but you see, and you see fans too. It's like, there's the fan that travels. And I guess there's also the fan, you know, that travels. Um, I haven't made Japan yet. I'm going to, um, and I've like come close a few times, but um, there's, I, I mean, I guess they're trust fund babies. I don't know what they are, but it's like, they have the money to like go to everything. And so, you know, this week, I mean, WrestleMania week, they're out of luck like the rest of us because, you know, there's not that gathering. 
the way it is. And then, you know, but yeah. And then, and then also now it's been like that for, God, I don't know, 10 years or so. Um, with the exception of Steve Austin and the rock or whoever's and the undertaker, whoever's on the very top in WWE, if you can't meet your favorite wrestler in some way, shape or form, you're not trying very hard. I mean, it's like, it's so much more, you know, it was closed as a society when I was, you know, going to shows and watching it in the beginning. And now with the, um, you know, with the comic con kind of legend shows and, and WrestleCades and WrestleCons and all that, you know, God, you, you know, you're not trying if you can't meet, particularly if you're an older fan, if you can't meet somebody who you think is interesting. Oh, and, yeah. Well, My Instagram's filled with wrestlers I've met. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I've met Okada. I've met Shinsuke Nakamura, yeah, AJ Styles, yeah. the Umbucks. Right. Yeah. And that, that's really a part of the AEW thing, which was, you know, giving people that moment of, of you're part of this and, and, you know, sign, you know, doing a selfie, signing an autograph, talking to them for, you know, enough time that it counts. Like that was, you know, a great thing of marketing that got them really there. And, and so like that part of it is, is, you know, amazing, you know, is, is amazing too. So, um, you know, the, the whole culture, the whole, you know, the whole culture of, how celebrities are now it's like you can meet you can meet somebody on television if you just you know you just pay attention a little bit and figure it out and there you are hopefully you won't shoot them or um you know get arrested for stalking them but um if you've got a brain in your head and some you know you know and some common sense huh you were saying common sense. Yeah. Oh yeah, just common sense of of like not bothering people. Um, you know, just not bo- you know not bothering them or you know like saying hey I like what you do and you know take a picture and you know spend the money and then go and then leave them alone. <laughs> you know, like after that. So um, yeah. So anyway, and, and and you always had the common sense of. I enjoyed going to wrestling and I, you know, cheering and booing and all that stuff, but I never like got in. I always knew like, don't touch the wrestlers. I wasn't jumping in the ring or wasn't doing any, you know, like getting arrested for this kind of stuff. It's like, you know, I wouldn't think about jumping into the, uh, you know, jumping the stage and getting out there with the band either, you know, just like it was just, so yeah. So anyway, and so that's changed a lot because, that definitely used to happen in the, a lot more in the old days. Oh, yeah. 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 I've interviewed a bunch of bands, and, and it's just like, they're cool, you know, if you ask the right questions and if you're, you're respectful, you know? Yeah. That's been my, been my experience with wrestlers. And, but wrestlers also, you know, the, and particularly the older generation, this generation is better about it, but. If you ask the wrong kind of question, you were going to, you know, they would turn off. And also, and some of them would turn off anyway. But it's like, but if you ask the right kind of question and you respected them as people, and sometimes you, a lot of times you can have a really interesting conversation. It might be about college football instead of about wrestling, but, um, 
that was a good, you know, that was a good thing. Right, right, and and I, I I'm a proponent of conversation rather than just do like great like what what what's your favorite match sort of kind of deal like you know. Wow, you know, it was like I really I don't like okay my fa- and I liked it favorite match because I like I think one thing I see on the internet all the time and on on social media all the time is somebody will wear a pair of socks and it's like, those are the greatest socks of all time that wrestler was wearing. Instead of like, I like his socks. Or that was my, or like, instead of, um, you know, instead of AJ Styles is my favorite wrestler, AJ Styles is the greatest wrestler of all time. Tweet at me. And it's like, just shut up. You know, just, you didn't, I mean, there's been wrestlers for 120 years. You didn't see, you know, probably didn't see, every single wrestler before you made that. So I'm glad you asked favorite match. Um, the, the, I loved, you know, I loved, um, Flair and Steve, I loved Flair and Flair and Terry Funk. Um, yes. I, um, okay, okay. I loved the, um, in the nineties, very much, um, way up on all Japan with Kenna Kobashi and, and Masao Masawa and, um, Kawada and um, Miracle Violence connection with um, with um, Dr. Death and Dr. Death Steve Williams and Terry Gordy and um, Stan Hansen. I love Stan Hansen stuff. I loved Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen as a team in Japan. Um, I love the New Japan stuff now. I mean, I you know I, that stuff is great. Um, I you know um, there's a wrestler here who just got <laughs> you know come to think of it. He just got his first national main event, and then this this virus hit um, on NXT. But there was a small promotion here called CWF. It just lasted for 20 years, and it just did go out of business. But for three or four years, their headliner was this was this wrestler um, whose father worked with the Hardys in Omega Championship Wrestling, and um, and his name was Trevor Lee. It's Cameron Grimes in NXT. And, mm-hmm. you know, I watch everything all around the world. And I was like amazed at the fact that I, I just thought Trevor Lee and, and Thomas supported what I thought, you know, how he's done. But, um, this guy, um, was in his early twenties and as good as any wrestler in the world. And, you know, in, in a time where Tanahashi was as good as any wrestler in the world, like, you know, like that, that kind of, and, and having these just epic matches in this small studio in front of 200, 300 people. Um, so Trevor Lee, it, it definitely like, that was just a, you know, 20 minutes away from where I live. That was just a gift. That was, and, and that was really cool. And so Cameron Grimes, I, I, now wrestling I, I like him. I, I like him. Yeah. So, um, but I always point to there was a match um, in the you know in the heyday of going, you know, front row section E going to the Greensboro Coliseum um, of two of our favorite teams and it was um, you know Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard um, with JJ Dillon versus the Midnight Express Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton and Jim Cornette and it was you know they they had done these tremendous promos to lead up to it. 
And it literally, this match, we thought it was going to be good, but it was like watching six guys who were so in tune with each other and what they could do that it was like, you know, like a Swiss, Swiss watch where every piece counts in a, switch wa- in a Swiss watch. It's perfectly balanced. There's not anything extra. There's not anything missing. It's right there. And they had this double disqualification, but it was like our jaws were just dropping going, oh, my God, that was a great match. That, you know, like Flair's going to have a hard time leading, you know, leading up to that. And, um, and then it was, you know, Stan Lane, who he would always talk about being from Florida, but he was from Page High School here in Greensboro, and his parents would sit behind us. And, we, you know, we sent, we sent roses to his mom one time. It was like, you know, like that kind of stuff. And so, like, to see this match, and then, so we knew, like, and sure enough, they rematched it. We're like, hell yeah, this is going to be great. You know, it's going to be something, you know, even though, like, business is troubling and all that, like, this is going to be something they can hang their hat on and they can, you know, get crowds back with, help to get crowds back. And, you know, we're going to be right there. And so next show, it's advertised for the next show, go out there. And um, Tony Schiavone's the ring announcer, or, or you know, right up, was sitting up front. And he, no, it was Killam Gillum. It was Robbie Gillum, ring announcer. And he turns around and takes one look at us and goes, they're gone. And, um, and even though we were Observer guys, it hadn't come out in the Observer yet. Um, and what he meant by they were gone was Tully and R. And oh, wow. There was no television for this match. <laughs> nothing that we'd seen. is like, you know, there's, there's, there's some handheld footage of, of, of Arn and Tully's last match for the Crockett's in Philadelphia. But it was just like, and, and I look back on that and go, that was the moment that the Four Horsemen died. Like, there was no more full horsemen, even though, like, it was brought back plenty of times, and it was like, <laughs> some of those guys were really good that were in the full horsemen and all that, and, you know, the key was they never brought back, they never, for lots of reasons, and some of them were self-inflicted, they never brought back Tully Blanchard, but it was just like, you know, it was just like, that was it, but, like, I look back at that match, and then um, I was... Um, in Rey Mysterio, the two out of three falls match, I was at the ECW arena that he had um, with um, psychosis. Yeah, psychosis, and and that was you know great. Um, yeah, there's been a ton of like, I mean, there's been a ton of like just great. Was it all in? Um, and then the last, the the not the last pay per view, but the one before that with the big. Um, Hardcore match with Omega and Omega and Moxley. Okay, that. So there's like been modern stuff. There's been a ton of stuff. Um, you know, um, you know, with Steve Austin and with Undertaker and with Rock and all that. It's like I've been to a ton. You know, stuff seen live. But yeah, my all-time favorite stuff: Steamboat and Youngblood, Steamboat and um, Steamboat and Flair and um. All Japan and all Japan in the nineties. And like, I didn't see any of that live. I've, I've seen, it still amazes me a few, just a couple of months ago, it, I, you know, I'm from Durham, but they didn't run shows, wrestling shows very much in Durham. And so I've never seen a rest. And I was in the back of my mind. I want to see a wrestling show in my home. Durham from the church. I was in first Presbyterian church. Where my mom still goes. 
and it was of all things New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, <laughs> to see that, you know, like oh my god, you know, like in my hometown, and then um, featuring. That's right, Ricky and Robert, the Rock and Roll Express. So I was just like, oh my, you know, That's like, fantastic. So that was, and it was, it was fantastic, because you know it was also Tanahashi, and you know they did the, um, you know the, you know he did the air guitar, and uh, you know it was. Oh yeah, oh yeah, was I was at the awesome. Philly show. Yeah, I, I was at the Philly show. The Ricky and Robert Tanahashi Rock and Roll Express. Um, the most baby face thing you will ever see. <laughs> oh God, yeah. And also, like, and I talked about this a lot, so I don't like uh, uh, different shows, but I don't want like kill it or anything. But to be a fan for so long, to see Ricky and Robert in their Ricky and Robert in their sixties, and like we used to boo the hell out of them. It's like you know we were for the good, we were for the bad guys. They were good guys, right. and not only that, but they were like phony like boy band rock and roll types and like, oh, no. and so to see them in, to see them be these legends and to see like, you know, Ricky Morton, like work is the right way through everything there is in life. And then end up on the other end where, you know, this generations of wrestlers respect the hell out of them and they're getting, you know, and, and they're smart enough to know, you know they you know, they are who they are and they're smart enough to like you know have you know be able to like survive in a match and do okay and people love them i think that's the coolest thing in the world it's like it's just like following something for that long and you know and and for them to do it and and like and if you think about it it's ridiculous they're 60 something years old <laughs> and they've still got the same mullet haircut from the 1980s they oh, had like it's it's preposterous but and they know it but they're like but they're not making a joke of it they're like this is how i am this is you know this is i'm a I, you know you know my business that's what he'll say you know that's, that's ricky morton's thing my business and all that and so i'm just like i'm thrilled for them and when i see them and i've seen them for ring of honor i've seen them for AEW. i you know been in the crowd for that i've seen them for um new japan and you know you know every other kind of damn thing and it's like you know and like i know that like for morton in particular it's like he's not a rich guy so to be able to like get that many dates and and to raise his price because of being in in the WWE hall of fame i mean that's just it's tremendous to me do you do a canadian story do you have any questions um i do have one like what are your Okay, you kind of alluded to some of your favorite rivalries, uh, so I kind of took away that one. Um, D. Koontz and I have a thing going about Bray Wyatt, and I'm okay. a fan of his, and D. Koontz despises him. Where do you stand on this? You mean th- right now? Like his character? Well, 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 this, this, has been long, this has been an all-time thing. Even, even when Bray was, like, leader of the Wyatt family, like, I, I was a fan of his, and, and D. Koontz called him glorified jobbers. And was not really into Bray, and that's a change. So, oh, by the what way, do you, what do you stand on Bray? Speaking of old, um, you know that Bray is Blackjack Mulligan's grandson, um, and Mike Rotunda and Barry Windham, who we saw, you know, uncle and father. So, um, saw those guys a ton. 
Um, uh, okay, so anyway, I was okay with Bray Wyatt. Like, I, I didn't think it quite made it, and um, but it was all right. The, this is how I see The Fiend. I think The Fiend doesn't work at all. Except okay. it's cool, except for people think, like kids and people who are watching wrestling, and now you've got the, the, the booking is so bad in WWE. It's been like this for years where people like the stars, but they kind of don't pay attention to the booking and they just like what they like. And I think people like the, um, the fun house, but they don't take him and, and, and they like the mask, but they don't take him as a, even though he's like the psychopathic character who's, you know, ridiculously villainous. He's like a movie monster, but people mm. are like laughing going, Hey, it's the fun house. Oh, that's great. I like that. And they're like kind of going along with that. But then you get to the match, and because he's this horror movie monster, he doesn't sell anything, and so he's impossible to have a match with. But he's not. Um, but he's not working in a way that, you know. And so he's taking like eight curb stomps, and you're sitting there going, "Okay, this is ridiculous," or they're you know they're hitting him with. We, uh, we both hated the hell in a cell match. You know, they're like they're you know they're hitting him with a chainsaw and they're doing this stuff. So so the matches suck, and like you can tell they figured out that like that people like that that funhouse because they they keep him in the funhouse as much as possible. And mm-hmm. so I don't know what in the world they're gonna do with him and and you know like John Cena how John Cena who is you know hasn't wrestled in a year and is you know well past doing that and the guy can't you know. Daniel Bryan, who is like, you know, the total package of smart wrestlers in the entire world, can barely have, you know, watchable, you know, has kind of a half-assed decent match with him. Like that's Daniel Bryan. So how the hell is John Cena going to have it? But yeah, I think it. I, I think he's a flop that's kind of disguised by people just kind of getting a, you know, getting kind of a, um, a campy kick out of his, out of his. Um, stuff but it doesn't you know i guess he's not a, a disaster in the ratings but it's like when the matches start people aren't into them at all and and that stupid red light god that, that was that they was stopped that. yeah yeah the, the red light was the red light was awful and it, i think that's what i found amazing about brand because like they had they had a huge hit and it's like it kind of killed their own hit which, which was i mean that actually really disappointed uh me about how they handled Bray, yeah, well, at least with the theme was, character. Yeah, they were going for the monster movie thing of you know the, mm-hmm. the you know the you know the Jason kills twelve. The, 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 yeah, Jason Voorhees, right? Yeah, Jason kills twelve girls, and then the last girl, um, who hasn't been having sex, has enough strength to like kill him back, and so you know, so nothing would work on. But that psychology didn't work. And it like it did a lot of damage to Seth Rollins, I think. And then it just they haven't been able to figure out how to how to do that. But and also the that mask is supposed to be scary. And I guess it's a good thing that it's cool, but no one's scared. It's like it's just cool. Hey, cool, he's got the mask. You know, it's like so it's yeah, I I I'm not sold on that, I mean at all. Yeah, I'm not sold on it, you know. <laughs> I've never been told on Bray Wyatt to begin nope, with. He's never, so. been, he, he's never, he's never liked Bray. Like I like what they did, but I think I agree with you in a sense of what do they do with John? 
I think he, they I think backed him into a corner where he has to win. If Bray doesn't beat Cena, I don't think Bray can recover from from this twice, from losing to Cena twice on these two main stages. I don't think he can recover twice. He, he, he did it once. What's the sense in bringing in Cena and having for one match at WrestleMania? I mean, I'm assuming that's what it is, but it's like, yeah. and you know, if you're going to have a rematch, it, it's another thing. But, but you know, this all-time favorite and having him lose a match. Like, that makes no I sense. Think I think it's to make amends for WrestleMania 30. Uh, I, I honestly think it's to make amends for 30. See, I don't think, like, I, I think that there's a lot of fans that think, you know, 50-50 booking and is it fair and then that stupid part-timer thing. It's like, how does, what does that make it? WrestleMania 30 wasn't, you know, John Cena and Undertaker was stupid, but um, what, and didn't work, but it's like, how does John Cena losing to the Fiend get the Fiend over as a villain or do anything for, you know, like, do anything but depress all the people who like John Cena. Like, I'm just like, you don't beat legends unless you've got a good, unless you've got a, a, a way to come back or a way to, um, a, a way to make, you know, money out of it. And so I'm, okay. yeah, I'm like, I don't see, but, uh, but I'm also, I don't see why John Cena would beat the Fiend either. So, I mean, because the Fiend is like the major heel on SmackDown. And why would you have a guy, you know, why'd you have a legend come back and, he, and like just beat him and then that's it? And then come back, but 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 I can't, you know, like I'm I'm not down on Brock Lesnar because he doesn't show up for every show. You know what I mean? It's like I I understand okay. special attractions. So and I thought it was he's a he's a big draw, right? And I thought it was and, and some guys, you know, I look at Undertaker. When Undertaker, the last time that he was, and it's been ten years ago, but the last time he was on, I think it was SmackDown every week, and they showed the. They showed the interest, and he was the Undertaker. Like the ratings for him were up, and then they went down. And it became kind of commonplace. There's certain guys that they need not to be around all the time, so they can be special when they are. Right. And um, and Lesnar is and Lesnar is like that. But then they did that. This is one of them. Yeah. They did that stupid thing where um, John Cena and Rock, you know, feuded over who was more loyal to the to WWE, which one of them was, and the and the Rock was a traitor for you know for going into the movies and not staying in the WWE, and that was just like you got this movie star who will come, you know, who came out of WWE and will come back for stuff. And what are you doing that for? And, and but I grew up with Andre the Giant and the NWA Champion showing up once every six months and and all that kind of stuff. So they were like or like guys that would travel. All of a sudden you'd have somebody new on the show. That was a, that was just there for a special thing, you know. And um, and Dusty Rhodes used to do that. All of a sudden, Dusty Rhodes would show up for one show, and it was like, great, you're in a more important show because this, there's this extra star who doesn't show up all the time. And so, you know, this idea that like, you know, it's not fair, and that everybody should have a shot at the top, everybody should have a turn with the title, and all this kind of stuff. I I'm, agree with that a hundred percent. If it makes if it makes business sense, I'm for it. But it's like this idea that like everybody gets a turn, and um, you know, and you have, and also that you have to be, that you have to serve an internship, and then you're like a plumber, and you work, you know, the levels of being a plumber, and you work your way. Like no, some, some, it's who can get the most people to come, and mm-hmm. 
to the show or watch on television or who can inspire the most people to, you know, buy your streaming service or whatever, or, or buy your merchandise. That's what, right. you know, and that means that that's the guy that comes in. That's the guy and he makes the debut at the top of the card and um, he didn't, he didn't pay his dues, you know, screw it. You made more money. Like that's what, you know, it isn't a paying a dues job. It's an entertainment job. You don't, you know, when, you, when people go see Beyonce, they might remember what group she was in, but mm. they don't care that, you know, they don't care that, um, you know, Which what she was before. Had. They care about what yeah. she is right then. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I agree with that 100%. I agree with that 100%. Not everybody gets turned. Not everybody. No, I think that's fair. I think it's one hundred percent fair. Like those who can draw the best, or at least those are the hottest. Those are the hottest at the time should have the, have the like the bigger roles, the bigger draw, the bigger titles, the paydays, things like that. I totally get it. I totally and then also it. there's guys that like, you know, and and then, and then there's guys who, you know, are suited to be champions. Like that. That's where you're gonna make mm -hmm. the most money. If this guy's the champion, he plays the champion really well, and beating him means something. And then there's guys – I always think of Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper didn't care. I mean, I guess he finally won the world title in some place or something. But it's like Roddy Piper didn't care that he didn't win the world title. He cared that he was one of the two top stars in the wrestling business during a boom period because he made a lot of money doing that. Like, you you, um, you know, you kept – and I think of Ric Flair, like all those titles and all that. If you talk to Ric Flair, he's going to tell you about – when he headlined a show that drew, um, that set box office records. That's, yeah, he cared about box office records, not, not yeah. titles. Right. So you could like have, you know, the guy who had the most title, and he's an all-time great, no doubt about it, but the guy who won the most titles in the history of wrestling has to be Jerry Lawler. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, I thought they did something about that, yeah. You know, who who major, you know, if you count the top title in the promotion, he would win it and lose it every two weeks for 20 some years. So it's like, does that make him, does that make him better than Luthes? Does that make him better than, um, you know, does that make him better than um, Hulk Hogan as far as drawing or something? It's like, or, you know, no, it doesn't. It just means that that was what, that was what the formula they used to draw money. And, you know, he was successful at it but it's like you know does that make him he has you know 200 more more major championships than el santo it's like yes yeah, so what so yeah yeah santo drew a lot more money than jerry law yeah, yeah he did and jerry law drew a lot of money and, and, like, and jerry law did draw a lot of money and you know and the truth is he and he he um headlined a lot of shows that didn't draw any money too but and the truth is he changed his, you know, he changed his act and morphed better than just about anybody I can think of in the, you know, in the wrestling business to keep himself, um, you know, relevant as the business changed so much. And, you know, there he is at 70 years old, still, still calling stuff on. Okay, um, okay. I'm not, I wasn't saying that to insult Jerry Waller. I was just. No, no, I don't mean insult, but I'm, but I'm just saying like, part of it is, you know, and, but I think he's really some, an interesting guy in, the, in wrestling just because he he changed his act all the time. He was smart enough to change up and good enough to change up to keep himself 
you know, relevant somewhere making money. So not everybody. Jericho. Jericho's Jericho. Yeah, Jericho. love Jericho. Jericho's been a, a, it was an amazing story, no doubt. I mean, that's, um, and that's, you know, and then again, like kind of watching, to me, some of the guys I'm most interested in, at least outside of here, you know, outside of wrestling, hearing them, you know, talk about their experiences are the guys who did every type of job in wrestling and, you know, were main eventers, but also were bookers and worked behind the scenes and produced for Vince McMahon and did all, you know, like, there's those guys, they're they're like that's where you can learn stuff and and really there and there's a bunch of them you know now but yeah Jericho's like you know figuring out how to reinvent himself every five years or whatever it was to um and then to just do some of his best all around work and you know 47 years old or how old he is right now now it's just like it's ridiculous he's really good. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, um, what do you think about how WrestleMania is being handled with the taping? Um, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is for schools. I don't know what the answer is for all kinds of things. And, um, a billion, you know, the billion dollar NCAA men's basketball tournament event that's worth a billion dollars and they have to cancel it. I don't think there is an answer for for WrestleMania while we're going through this, um, you know, the social distancing, this virus. And um, that, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not looking forward to, to two nights of watching. Um, if, if it's what happens, and I'm not convinced it is, of watching, you know, wrestlers without an audience. And I don't think it's, um, I don't think there's a way to, to like, to like do it. I understand trying to get it over with and just because, you know, and then moving on to your schedule, taking the, you know, taking the lumps, um, the financial lumps and all that. I get it, but I don't, I think anytime that you're bringing together people, you know, like, you know, I can't, I can't go down the street, you know, I can't like drive down the street and um, buy a quarter pounder and sit in a McDonald's and eat it because of, so you can't tell me that like wrestlers, gathering together and doing all, doing all the things that have to be done just to have a, a, you know, a show for two nights in the performance center, much less, you know, in Tampa in a stadium. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to everybody involved. I'm not already sympathetic to everybody involved in wrestling, but um, I, I'm sympathetic, but I don't know that, that like even that that's what we're going to do today, you know, on Sunday, on Sunday. Who knows what what's going to be in two or three weeks? I'm hoping that the I'm hoping that the, um you know that it's a flat rise and and so we're start maybe we'll start to see the end of it in two or three weeks. But I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on anything. I don't know. Social media, um, I mean plugs, um, first oh. words. Okay, um, at pwtorch.com, at pwtorch.com slash govip. Um, I think that's also how to subscribe to the Torch and how to follow the free things that we offer, much less, um, you know, and then I do Bruce Mitchell Audio Show 
three times a week or three hours a week um, for VIP members. And um, Wade Keller, um, his, you know, Wade Keller, the Wade Keller audio shows, many of them are free, and then some of them are um, subscribers. Um, on Twitter, I am at Mitchell PW Torch, at Mitchell PW Torch. And um, enjoy Twitter, so. Welcome to Mike. <clears throat> yep, twitter.com slash beastmike is where you can find me. Uh, I've been all over NFL free agency, uh, like putting out stuff where like I'm talking oh, cool. about it. Yeah, free agency is uh, about all that's left. Like all this free agency is amazing. Yeah. Yep. It, it, it's oh, I love what the, the NFL did not stop. Like everybody else stopped what they were doing, but I love that the NFL didn't. It, it's really giving everybody like a distraction from all the drama that's going on right now. Like like the Olympics may not happen. Or maybe reschedule it. I saw that earlier today. Uh, yeah, so like I, I yeah, was all over that. With the team has team. Hope. Every, every NFL team has hope to improve. So where's Cam? So what's going to happen with Cam Newton? See, okay, Chicago traded. I thought he was going to go to Chicago, and okay. then Nick, they, then they trade for Nick Foles, and okay, so now they're out. Right. New England makes hey, to me, New England makes a lot of New England makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, personally, because they need a quarterback horribly. They signed Brian Hoyer for some reason earlier today. Dude, he's a backup. Yeah. has no QB. In theory, that's where he goes. But now, now, now obviously, Carolina got Teddy Bridgewater. In theory, that's the best place for Cam Newton, is to go to New England, where but they got a real shot. Cam Newton is Cam Newton is that type of quarter, he's that type of quarterback that relies on athleticism. And so does he yeah. fit within the system? You know, does he fit within that New England system of Belichick, you know, control freak and all that, and, you know, successful? So I want, yeah, but that would be, like, really ironic if he ended up there. Like, that would be amazing. To me, I think Bill's, Bill is adaptable where he can have a run, a run-based style on one week and then a, a passing-based style the next. So right. I think the other place that makes sense to me for Ken Newton would be the L.A. Chargers. Yeah. Because the Chargers don't really have a QB, and they're kind of in a win-now mode. They got offensive linemen. Assuming they would get Tom Brady, and then no Brady, so they kind of they're kind of in a, a jam situation. I, I don't buy it all that they're saying. Okay, Tyrod Taylor is the starter. That's a lie. There's, there's no way he's he's going to be starting day one for yeah. the LA Chargers. I have to think they're either drafting a QB at six or trading up, or they're going to sign Cam Newton or sign Jameis Winston. Right. Another place yeah. I would think that would make sense for Cam would be the Steelers. Whom yeah. I don't okay. love Big I don't trust that Big Big Ben is washed to me. I, I don't think Big Ben well, even if he comes back. Yeah, does he have something left or not? Yeah, coming off. I think I think Big Ben's about done. Uh, even if he comes back, I don't, I don't. I just don't think he has much left. Right. So that to makes... me, I, I think the Steelers would make a lot of sense. You're gonna have trade partners, but I think it's after the draft is where Kendon pro or during the draft is where Kendon probably gets dealt because it, it's with that contract. Carolina's right. hands are kind of tied. So yeah. I, I think honestly, I think that's, that's where that goes. And you were talking about every team having hope. As a Dolphins fan, I've been all over this free agency, and the, the, the Miami's gone hard in, in this. And yeah. Yes, we are. We are celebrating Brady leaving the AFC East and drinking Boston tears. It, that has been a right. whole lot of fun. Okay. All right. Over the last week. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. There's because the, you don't have to like. Yeah, they don't have to like play football to have free agency, but free agency is 
as big as anything, you know, as far as sports season goes. So, yeah, yeah, NFL is. Miami Dolphins did release a washing your hands song, so. Oh, okay. Well, well, yeah, using their theme, yeah, using their uh, their fight song as, as like the kind of the backdrop, and then you kind of wash your hands to it. You can do it in like twenty seconds. I I, I totally did it. It 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 works. It legit works. Oh, but yeah, Twitter.com slash Mike is where you can find me. Twitter.com slash DJ is where you can find me. It's fantastic. Um, I'm tweeting a lot about um crooked politicians. Um. Wrestling and sports. Cool. Yeah. All right. All right. Guys, this was fun. This was fun. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on. All right. I enjoyed it.